with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Yeah, exactly. But again, that's the, the, uh, the behavior or the, uh, the result of the behavior, if you will, of, uh, of addiction. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what a lot of people, uh, particularly those who've never had or never seen themselves as having an addiction, uh, just have trouble understanding. Well, I got humbled a whole lot with the smoking thing because Frank and I got married in September of 68 and we had committed to giving up smoking on New Year's Eve. And I was okay until the 1st of December. And then I thought, oh, my God, I can't live the rest of my life without a cigarette. And so I worked my way from a pack a day up to four packs a day by Christmas. That was. Yeah. And uh, I was getting up in the middle of the night to smoke so I could get all the cigarettes in possible before. And Hugh Dex was on the Today Show. And I saw him on Christmas, and he said he'd quit smoking by allowing himself to smoke when he was out of town. And I thought, I can do that. And so for 10 more years, I smoked out of town. But boy, did I Ah. have to get trapped in lies. I I realized one day that my out of town meant out of the county. And my school was only three miles from the line, and I start driving across the county line for a cigarette. Right, right, or right. Yeah, being, being in that's an addiction. Groups of men mm-hmm. out of town, and I won't give you the whole long story, but I had a friend who had been a co-therapist with me who saw me smoking, and he called me on it, and that was my last day of smoking. And <laughs> I threw him out the window and never had another one. But oh my God, yeah, the lies we can tell ourselves. <laughs> that's right. But you see that it is that uh, that crucial moment, even a crucial moment in forgiving ourselves and being able to forgive ourselves when we realize I don't have to do this anymore. But it's hard to know when we're there, except that we have to be working towards it, I think. And know that this is, you know, in kind of working its way in the back of my mind, I can't walk around with this this a resentment towards myself anymore. And, you know, you were a catalyst with that individual, but I think there's also, we have to be ready to say, enough is enough. I- and sometimes, sometimes it's a long time, sometimes there's something that occurs when we least expect it, I suspect. I have a question for you about this. Um, I have not been um, an alcohol addict, and I'm wondering what you see as the role of the sponsor in helping the person to come to the place of recognition that it really is out of control. Well, I'm not sure it's the role of the sponsor 
uh, you know, because, you know, people do come into the program with the expectations that they're going to stop and they're ready to stop. Now, the sponsor, a sponsor, and those around, when we do an intervention, what has to happen uh, a lot of times, have you done an intervention with anybody? No, I have. I have talked with families that were going to do one and referred them to some one, that yeah. experience in it, but I haven't been part of the process. Well, in the process, uh, you, a lot of times with the help of a professional counselor, gets all the people around the alcoholic to talk about what they're experiencing with that person uh-huh. and to essentially to find out which ones have the most impact on the individual and also who is ready to help the person uh, who needs to change. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, and, uh, and if anybody in the group is not willing to take that risk, then they're not in an intervention. Uh-huh. But what the, the idea of the intervention is not that you say, you've got to stop because they, they know that already. What is different is that the people, in a very matter-of-fact way, you know, on Friday, such and such, you were drinking and this happened. And, and you know, and going through, in a sense, an inventory of the experiences uh-huh. and sharing that and saying, look, I love you. I cannot be around you when you're drinking. And, you know, you have to think about, what's been going on. And when you sit and when you're the recovering, the person who's in need of recovery and you hear that, you hear everybody not accusing or anger or whatever, then it, it begins to click. Hopefully it begins to click. And then of course the ultimate is that the family has already decided where the person is going to go into treatment. Uh-huh. If indeed he or she is, willing to do it and do it right then and there before before the uh, 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 positive thinking about drinking kicks in. Get the person to see what they're doing in a way that's very concrete, and then they make it may, hopefully will make a decision to make a change. The sponsor does the same thing by saying, okay, look, you did this, this, and this, and this was the result. Do you want to continue? And to do it in a matter-of-fact kind way, if you will, but also straightforward and honest. Uh-huh. And that's what makes uh, a diff- can make a difference uh, with the alcoholic or anyone who's a drug addict because with the damaged mind uh, that's caught up in addiction, this is where, you know, when we've been talking about forgiving ourselves, you have to have a uh, your mind uh, ready to do that and understanding. But with the uh, person who's in the throes of addiction or a mental illness, uh, doesn't have that perspective, and the person outside has to help them to begin to see what they're doing and also understand that there's an alternative that 
uh, okay, this feels awful, but you don't have to uh, live with that feeling. And part of the therapy is, I think, for, for people who are in recovery to forgive themselves for uh, their behavior, knowing it was not them. And it is also not behavior that they want, that they'll learn from and change and not continue this kind of behavior. Right. That's what's real, real I, crucial. I think what the um, 12-step program does with addicts is have so many people around who've done it and who, right. who really understand how bad it was and who can say, it doesn't have to stay like this. It is possible. Right. And judgment. That that's the kind of judgment that I'm a bad person or whatever. Right. They've been through it, they've recovered, and that's where the strength. And I think that that is also, you know, when we talk about forgiving ourselves, that we have to understand we really had no control over it. We thought we did. Right. But we we didn't. And we were so blinded by the, the chemicals, so to speak, that we weren't thinking rationally. And that's what you know, the intervention is to help us to understand that we can be different. And in that... And to have some hope for it. Right, right, right. And it has to be with people who, you know, who are caring. That's why when, when people yell, why did you do this and so forth and so on? Well, we're going to be defensive because we're it, it's uh, affecting our self-esteem. But if we say, this is what you did, this is what happened. This is what you did. This is what happened. Do you want this to ha- to continue to happen? And then we have to look at it from a logical way. And that can be true of a whole lot of, beha- not just addictive behavior, but a lot of ways, different ways that uh, we may hurt others as well as ourselves. And then that's what we have to look at. <laughs> and I, I guess I, I consider behavior that is destructive as addictive behavior, even if it doesn't involve a substance. Uh, sure. It could be Absolutely. addicted to a pattern of response or to whatever it happens to be that you use to justify it. Right, but right. And forgiving ourselves. And we have to understand. Mm-hmm. I just realized something I hadn't thought of in all the time I've been preparing this, but um, forgiving ourselves really is a prerequisite for self-reconciliation. And when we're talking about forgiving somebody else, we don't have to have reconciliation with them. But you can't live a Mm -hmm. healthy whole life if you don't reconcile with yourself. So it is necessary to both forgive what the past behavior has been, but to amend the future behavior if you're going to be able to have that kind right. of and, healing. And not slough off that you did something, but to say, you know, I did this and I didn't know what I was doing. Or, or I didn't allow myself to see it. Right, didn't allow my, that's a good way to put it, allow myself to see it. And in that, now I see, now I know the consequences. Now I don't want those kinds of consequences. I can be, and I know that I have the ability to do things differently, and I will 
do that because now I know. And that's one of the things that all of the 12-step programs do. And I, I don't know how many there are now, but when I was teaching, and I finished teaching in 1987, that was my last year, I mean, formally in an academic setting. And at that time, I looked up how many 12-step programs there were, and there were 67 in 1987. Yeah. There probably are a thousand right. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it became a little bit too fashionable. Everybody, you know, everybody was in a 12-step program, but uh, that's okay. It works. For it many does people. work. And it's interesting. I, I just took on a second person for spiritual direction that's a 12-stepper, and I had one years ago and each of those people is an adult child, um, an, mm -hmm. a, a user themselves. And I can't remember. Let's see. There's OA. Overeaters. And oh, no, that's yeah. overeaters. Mm -hmm. That's not what I. Um, yeah. They're in yeah. four programs. AA. One, one is AA yeah. and one is uh, ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. But there, there are a couple of, I guess, um, oh, um, Al-Anon for some of them, because right. they got drinking through the network of people that they, but there's a fourth one too. And um, this one friend, and I don't remember how she explained it. I wish I did, because it was pretty cool. But why she needed all four, why it wasn't enough to just, quote, work the steps, but you had to work them in relation to the problem. Right. Absolutely. The whole person, all these factors uh, cause problems for the individual. And if they can get assistance, particularly the ACOA, uh, but, uh, and Al-Anon and, and you work on the different things because Al-Anon is not uh, dealing with somebody else's addiction is the dealing with yours, right? With, with you, your desire and your behavior and caused by, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a danger, I think, for all helping professionals <laughs> to be able to be present without having to try to control your client. <laughs> well, I will tell us a secret when I first started my practice. Uh, I was in private practice. I had an alcoholic client call me at midnight. He had my home phone number. And he said, if, uh, if you were a good therapist, I would not be drunk right now. And I listened to the guy for an hour. And I, I was upset, of course. The next day I called a friend of mine who was a counselor and said, you listened to a drunk for an hour? I won't listen to you sober uh, for more than 10 minutes. <laughs> and that's when I made a decision that if I'm going to continue in private practice, I better start going to Al-Anon. Uh -huh. And that was the best decision I could have ever made because my academic training did not cover alcoholism that much. Uh -huh. And getting in there and understanding that that person is separate from me and that I'm not going to rescue them. I mean, I say to clients, I'm not going to rescue you. I can show you how to change. I can uh, show you how you can rescue yourself, but I can't make you change. 
and all the things we're talking about, forgiveness and so forth, it's an essential issue that we can't change somebody else. We can only change ourselves. ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I do have somebody I'm working with now, and she's finally started OA, but she probably weighs two and a half times what she should. Yeah. And she's under tremendous stress yeah. now. I won't go through it, but there's life situations that are extraordinarily yeah. hard right now. Well, that's and a, yeah, that's. I saw her online recently, and she's she's so much bigger. I might not have recognized her if I had known it was her. And yeah. I had to really avoid getting caught up in the trap. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Lynn. I really appreciate your coming on and talking about uh, this self-forgiveness and also how we can look at ourselves to make changes, you know. And I think your your image of the mirror is a powerful one. Thank you. Uh, to see see those, those eyes in the mirror. Is that, you know, in a way, it's a sense of, uh, to me, it's a sense of, one, helping you, but also letting you know that change has occurred. Yes. And that you're being being kind to yourself. And that's what we want people to do. We do indeed. We do indeed. Thank you for being on. Yeah. And there may be some other things that you and I will have a chance to talk about. But for now, I say thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. And to our audience, if you have any suggestions, we've actually received some from uh, some listeners uh, that uh, we'll be talking about it the next time that we get together. Uh, but thank you uh, to all who have listened. Thank you, Lynn. And we look forward to the next podcast. Take care. <laughs>